Tim Kuhn, the most interesting man in baseball, I would argue, right now is not a player. It's the man who has done more than anyone to rewrite baseball's unwritten rules. It's the man who is redefining our definition of what it is to be a nerd. It's the man who I think we really actually should probably just describe visually here, Tim, before we get any further with this, because I realize now that there are people who don't know what Gabe Kapler, the manager of the San Francisco Giants, actually looks like. This man is 46 years old, and any 25-year-old would die to look like him. He is ripped. He's got these forearms with these the veins. I call them a phlebotomist dream. I mean, his veins are like, <laughs> they're like ropes, you know? They're just popping out of his arms. Everything is just right. You know, his facial hair is just right. He's got this very well-tended beard. It's so well manicured. He only eats red meat. I mean, that's literally all he eats. And he recently started adding in berries. He's got no wrinkles. 46 years old. You ask someone to imagine what a baseball manager looks like, and it's some sort of variation on, like, Tommy Lasorda. (laughs) It's all sort of a character that may have plausibly been played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. If I were to tell you that, like, Channing Tatum would play him, I think Gabe Kapler would rightfully be offended. But why were you drawn to him? Because I imagine that this, the superficial here, is not really the reason why you were in his office in the first place. It wasn't. I was out at the ballpark quite a bit last year during their incredible 107-win season. The Giants, for the first time since 2012, are champions of the National League West. And let this celebration begin. 107 wins. And I was fascinated by just listening to him talk because not only does he not look like a manager, he doesn't talk like one. I'm not really looking for anything, to be honest with you. It's like... It's like music or art, and if something touches you in the right way, it, I'm not like trying to feel anything or experience anything when I'm having these kind of experiences. They're just, they are what they are. He has this way about him where he processes everything and then it all comes out like in almost essay form. There are very few things that I don't like um, or that I strongly dislike, mm-hmm. my preferences, um, richer, bolder, um, more flavorful, like the scotch is, is very flavorful. Um, and, and perhaps it is because of the barrels, but in any event, it's it's more about like big and bold for me. Big and bold. And that's true for, for wines as well. You know, it's just very thoughtful. It's very practiced. He's very well read. He's got opinions on a lot of things. He's got some offbeat opinions on a lot of things, which makes it even more interesting for what we do. And at one point, I just said, I'm really interested in doing something really a little bit deeper on just you. And in a perfect Gabe Kapler fashion, he said, if you choose to do that, I will fully invest. (laughs) And and as you know, he made good on his promise, Pablo. There is a standard disclaimer about investing that applies to both the stock market, especially these days, and also the leader of a Major League Baseball team. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. 
And for a long time when Gabe Kapler was struggling to resemble a credible manager, that disclaimer was an argument in his favor. But today, after winning 107 games with the Giants last season and being named the National League's Manager of the Year, Gabe Kapler is trying to prove that his methods are no fluke and that the best way to prove that a manager still matters is to change the way we think of them entirely. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Friday, May 13th. This is ESPN Daily. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats Headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Tim, we're in this pretty weird place in the grand arc of baseball history, right? Like before there was one dichotomy between player friendly managers and disciplinarians. And now we're sort of grappling with this gulf between data geeks and the old school traditionalists. So within that framework, where does Gabe Kapler fit? I think he almost fits in a way as a contemporary with these guys. Even though he's 10 years older than any of his players, there's a certain swagger that he has. He listens to the same music. He wears the same shoes. He's got this whole aura about him that is just able to relate. But I think that he he's an iconoclast. He's a guy that wants to be sort of counterculture. He played 10 years in the big leagues. He knows the game inside and out, but he questions it, right? He has this idea that the way we've always done it is not the way we should keep doing it. Everybody is competing on a major league baseball field. It doesn't make any sense to have one part of the field stop competing and the other part of the field keep competing. I've never, I've never quite understood it. I don't understand it now. He has opened the doors to everything. He wants guys to bring their problems to work. He wants everyone to be themselves. No rookie should be hazed. Nobody should look down on anyone else. What the city of San Francisco stands for, what my mom and dad stand for, is equality, diversity, and caring a great deal about community, a place that I have no doubt that I will be able to make an impact strictly because I care enough to do it. When you look at, as you talk about this arc of baseball, you know, they kind of need more guys like that. It's a time when the game needs to move forward to figure out where its place is in the hierarchy of American sports. And I think that 
people like him who can stand up and say, wait, wait, why are we doing it the way we've always done it? Why are, why are rookies looked down upon rather than helped out? It seems pretty basic, but within this structure, it's kind of rebellious. It's a very modern concept in a very traditional place. And I think that dichotomy is where, where it becomes really very fascinating. So where does that rebelliousness, the iconoclasm you're describing, Tim, where does that come from? What's his background? As you might not be surprised by, he has a very interesting backstory. He grew up in San Fernando Valley, outside of Los Angeles. His parents met at a Vietnam War protest. As he puts it, they were activists, they were social justice warriors before that was even a term. His father was a classical pianist, a music teacher, a poet, a writer, and as Gabe says in a way that he somehow managed to make sound fond, he was a failed composer. And so mother was an early childhood educator. And one of the things that Gabe told me about the way he grew up, and he was talking about like dinner table conversations, and, and he said, there wasn't a lot of how was your day in our household. It was heavy. It was reading recommendations. It was what's going on in the news, politics, very little, if any, sports. So he comes from this sort of questioning background. As he said that one of the big questions that his parents would always ask was why. And the other one was, is that true? I think, you know, it taught him to look a little deeper at the world, you know, to to not just take things at face value. And, and he credits his parents for that countercultural streak that he has. He kind of retained a lot of these lessons that he learned that had nothing to do with sports or baseball. Funny story about his father, Michael Kapler. I asked him if his father like went to games and stuff, and he said that his vision of his father is looking up at the stands in Reseda Park with its dirt infield and playing rec league baseball and seeing his dad with his fedora on sitting in the bleachers with the LA Times just open fully so that it blocks his view of the field, having no clue what's going on or, or interest, <laughs> but he's there, right? He's there to support his kid. This is what he wants to do. Okay. I guess I got to spend my Saturdays here. So he's the son of these two people who are protesting authority, literally, figuratively. They are musicians, artists, educators. I'm curious how that guy who winds up somehow being taken in the 57th round of the MLB draft, Tim, in 95. Like, how does he get there? What does his whole future look like as baseball is concerned? He was a late bloomer. I mean, that's part of the reason why he was a late round draft pick. Everyone physically was always ahead of him. And then when he finally started working out, he just was obsessed. And he got bigger and he got faster. And it was pretty much all he did. Um he really did dedicate himself to baseball. He became the minor league player of the year and really became a personality before he even hit the big leagues. Kapler launches one. Fair foul. It's gone. Dave Kapler has won it. 
And when he hits the big leagues, I mean, I remember Gabe Kapler as, you know, this outfielder who was sort of on a zillion teams, the Red Sox, most notably when they won the World Series. But what is the scouting report on him? What was his career like in totality? You know, he was a fourth outfielder. He had a couple good years uh, in Tampa, but he was kind of a guy that teams like to have around. But he was kind of a guy that people knew because, you know, he had these beefcake photos on the internet, but he was always in the weight room. So he was a good example to younger guys. He had this gift of bringing people together in a clubhouse and kind of bridging cultures in a lot of ways. Yeah, Tim, look, I I, I Google imaged Gabe Kapler and I mean, there's a lot of magic Mike energy to his sort of photographic oeuvre here. I'm seeing like uh, animal print uh, speedos. I'm seeing him posing in ads, shirtless with a bat. It, it feels like a caricature of a meathead. <laughs> I think he kind of had fun with that. Commercially, that worked for him. He was, I mean, we think about it, he had 82 home runs and yet everybody knew who he was from all this stuff. He had a, a persona that exceeded his baseball career. And so at what point does it become clear that, oh, this guy, this sort of character actor almost, that that guy is going to become a manager, that he's going to become a coach? And I think that it probably started when he got into the front office. You know, he, he, had, done, he had done everything, right? He, he played, and then, again, we talk about that persona. He transferred that and was a television analyst for a while, and that worked well for him. It got his name out. It got his face out. I think it impressed teams that as a former player with a pretty high Q rating, he went into the front office and did like minor league work with the Dodgers. So he saw that analytics boom from the beginning and was part of it. You know, he almost got the job when Dave Roberts was hired for the Dodgers. He was the runner up. So there was a natural progression, even though he hadn't coached in a in a major league, on a major league team. It, it felt like he had been building toward this for a while. Please join me in welcoming the new manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, Gabe Kapler. Thank you. you got it. The Gabe Kapler revolution that we're now sort of witnessing, it had been promised to us before when he was in Philadelphia as the manager of the Phillies. And there were lots of headlines and conversations around, look at this magnificent weirdo. But that seemed to go disastrously. What happened there? It was a bad situation for him, and I, I think that he didn't help himself by making mistakes. He called a reliever in in the first week of the season who hadn't even warmed up in the bullpen. I, I didn't. There's no one throwing in the no pen. Throwing in the bullpen. Or if they were, they got, they got up real quick. And he just took him out. Nobody just, was up as we, of just 15 seconds ago. <laughs> no one was throwing. I think that there was a skepticism about him that maybe that group wasn't quite as in tune with the countercultural aspect of Gabe's uh, personality. Part of it was his own inexperience and uh, hubris in some ways. I also think that the infrastructure in Philadelphia was not, even though they hired him, was not quite as 100% on board with him as the group in San Francisco is. So yeah, a lot of things kind of conspired against him, including himself. 
And also, look, let's be honest, Philly is not exactly as uh, patient as San Francisco might be for the sorts of cultural developments that Gabe Kapler had been promising. But what did he learn, Tim? What lessons did he take away from his two seasons trying to manage the Phillies? He says that a lot of the things he did in Philadelphia, they look bad because they didn't work. (laughs) And then now (laughs) he wins 107 games because those same things started to work. In perfect Gabe fashion, he calls it a continuum. So what he started in Philadelphia was really what a lot of what we're seeing in San Francisco. He really leaned hard on like high leverage situations, right? So if he had a right-handed hitter that had trouble against a certain kind of right-handed pitcher and he was up in the fourth inning with runners at second and third, he had no problem throwing a pinch hitter up there. That was new, right? That was Mm. just not something that was done with any regularity in Major League Baseball. He brought that to San Francisco. The difference was the guy in Philadelphia might have been walking back to the dugout grumbling and F-bombing him, whereas the guys in San Francisco are like high-fiving the guy that's coming up to pinch hit for him. It's just a whole different attitude and way that he's been able to sell his vision in the clubhouse. It goes from this sort of heavy reliance on analytics combining that with the humanistic side of it, right? And I think that, to me, as I see it, that is where Gabe Kapler has adapted the most, is that he has created an environment where guys trust those decisions because they've seen them work. But it does not seem, Tim, like the rest of Major League Baseball is quite so trusting. And I want to ask you about that frontier in the culture war after the break. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Tim, 
Tim, you've now spent all of this time around the San Francisco Giants. You've gotten to see it from the inside out. What do Gabe Kapler's players think of him now? It's funny because they like him. They think that his communication skills are beyond anything they've ever dealt with in the major leagues. And they are amused by him. They are amused by all the same things that we're amused by, but they allow him to be himself as he allows them to be themselves. So I think it's the dynamic in there. You talk to guys who have been at other places, talk to Jock Peterson briefly about it. And he said, you know, it's like liberating to come into that clubhouse because you've got guys welcoming you, not envious of you and not resenting you because you're going to take their at-bats. Uh, you've got this coaching staff that is really fascinating coaching staff. There are 13 coaches, more than any other team in the big leagues, and that was a Kapler-designed decision. You know, he's got Alyssa Nockin, the first female coach in Major League history, who has a big voice in that room. He has only one other coach, Andrew Bailey, who has any appreciable major league experience, <laughs> only Kapler and Bailey. And none of these people were friends of Kapler before he hired them. Wait, 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 wait. So he, he, he didn't know the people that he ended up sort of staking his career on, all 13 of them? Exactly. I mean, he had heard about them, but he met them in the interview process. And his credo is that he wants a group, not necessarily a team of rivals, but a team of diverse opinions. He says that oftentimes a manager like these old time guys we're talking about, they'll go into a meeting and they'll discuss everything and it'll end up just everybody agrees with each other and they slap each other on the back and say, go get them. But this <laughs> is a whole different thing. You know, he has opened up the room to where he wants them to challenge him. And it's sort of that why and is that true that came from the dinner table at the Kapler house. And how did the first female coach in Major League Baseball history, how did she come to be one of the people that Gabe Kapler hired? Well, Paula, Alyssa Nockin interviewed for the job. She had been working in the in the Giants front office and, uh, you know, she she saw that what kind of jobs were available on this coaching staff. There were quite a few of them. And she threw her name out there and she interviewed and Kapler said that she killed the interview, that there was nothing about her being a woman that got her the job. It was that she was the most prepared person to fit into that role. She is in uniform. She's in the dugout. She's out on the field during batting practice. She's given tips. She's kind of uh, kind of a chief of staff. She just runs the coach's room. She's, she's aware of everything. She's got really strong observational skills. She just brings a different mentality to the job. And the players have gotten to the point where I don't, I mean, like they don't even, she's just on the team, right? She's just part of them. A really cool moment earlier this year too, when uh, Antoine Richardson, the Giants first base coach got thrown out of a game and she went out and coached first base. And it was the first time that a female coach had ever been on the field during a major league baseball game. It's confirmed, this is the first time Alyssa Nacken has been coaching at first during a regular season game. Which is historical, which yeah. means it's the first time that a woman has ever coached first base in a big league ball game. Absolutely. So, nice going, Nack. 
and you know, just to get an example of just the respect that people have for her, she she went out there and and she didn't make a deal of it, right? Because it's just my job and this is what I'm set to do. But you know, Eric Cosmer, the Padres' first baseman, walked over when he saw her and, and shook her hand and congratulated her. So Eric Hosmer came over and said, "Hey, congratulations! I'm Eric Hosmer." It was just cool. It just felt like a wall was falling, you know, that there was this openness to this that that we don't associate with this sport. In terms of the openness, Tim, it does also sort of demand that we address a lot of the doubts that have been sort of around Gabe Kapler beyond just, oh, man, he really messed it up in Philly. Because I understand also that there has been reporting about his time with the Dodgers when he was in their front office that would suggest that this guy that you're describing now is not necessarily the person you'd assume would be great at managing delicate situations. That's very true. He had situations with the Dodgers when he was the player development guy where the initial incident happened at a hotel during spring training, an underage girl uh, reported to her grandmother that she had been partying with some Dodgers minor leaguers and other women, older women, and that two of these women had assaulted her. Well, the grandmother contacted Kapler, who immediately contacted his superiors and the Dodgers legal team about this. It came to him, everyone agrees, as a physical assault. A week later, uh, there was some reporting that indicated there might have been an attempt for the family to get some money from the Dodgers, she changed and said that she had been sexually assaulted. Well, in that week's time, when it was a physical assault, prior to it being a sexual assault, Kapler made the questionable decision to bring the the players and this girl together at a dinner, and he would moderate it. His claim was that the players wanted to apologize to her, and he thought this was a way to settle it and to make sure that everybody was okay with it because at that time the victim did not want to go to the police. There was later an incident where a minor league player was said to have sexually assaulted a hotel maid. In neither case did Kapler go to the police. In both cases, he says that he was honoring the victims, their wishes. But what happened is that there were people within the Dodgers who wanted to make a point of this and to point out Kapler as somebody who should have done more. His inaugural press conference in San Francisco was in many ways a referendum on his character. I mean, he was just peppered with questions about what happened with the Dodgers in Arizona. Uh, Going back to the 2015 incidents, uh, you said you sold out, or you should have sold out experts' opinions on and what to do, what was the next step that you should have done? Openly and directly, I wasn't prepared to facilitate anything. I I wasn't prepared to be as supportive to the victims as as I could have been. And perhaps even arrogantly thought that I I could be impactful and help. When he was hired with the Giants, a lot of people felt it was a bad decision and that he was not somebody that should be trusted with Uh, running this, you know, this fabled franchise. Gabe, uh, I imagine you've seen social media or some of the reaction in the media also uh, to this hire, not the most popular hire ever, uh, following Bruce Bochy, as you mentioned, and and a great deal of this press conference is dealing with 
incidents in the past and trying to discuss them through and, and in Philadelphia even before this you certainly were a polarizing figure do you feel like in, in any way you're in a little starting in a little bit of a hole here does that matter sure. to you the answer question is is yes I feel like I'm in a little bit of a hole and yes that means something to me um, and I think I, I would probably just use it as an opportunity to to roll up my sleeves a little bit more to dig in a little bit more to really find out what the what the issues are to find out why I, I have had some of those issues and why so far I, I have not been a popular hire. Pablo, it's worth remembering that Farhan Zaidi, the Giants president of baseball ops, was also the general manager of the Dodgers at the time that these incidents took place. So for him to hire Kapler in his biggest move, biggest public facing move that he was going to have to make was to replace Bruce Bochy with someone that the fan base and the team could put forth as the face of this franchise. It was pretty big and bold for Zaidi, knowing all that was going to come up, knowing the controversy, knowing the backlash. And, you know, he stood by Kapler and he still does. And he says that, you know, no matter what happened, no matter what mistakes were made, he never doubted that Gabe was trying to do the right thing for all the people involved. And he says the entire organization made mistakes. He felt the overriding factor for him was that Gabe Kapler's heart was in the right place. That basically is how Gabe Kapler got introduced to San Francisco, Tim, under this cloud of, at best, incompetence and with this backdrop of a team that had been, as you said, incredibly successful. And here comes this dude and he is selling his own vision. And so what is the task in front of him looking like? The task in front of him was to somehow revamp this team in his own image. You know, there was this Bruce Bochy era that was just beloved in San Francisco. He did things that nobody had ever done before. And he did it in a way that was absolutely contrary to the Gabe Kapler ethos. It was just different. And so, you know, I, I do think that Gabe's first year, which was the 60-game COVID season, really gave him a little bit of a break. You know, I think it allowed him to kind of ease in in a way that a full 162-game season at that time wouldn't have. If you remember, I mean, we didn't have sports, and then we had them, and we almost didn't care what happened in them as long as that we could watch them. You know, Correct. So he had this, you know, people weren't allowed to go to the game, so nobody was out there yelling at him for that first year that he managed the Giants coming off all of this controversy. So I think that allowed him to sort of regroup and they could enact their vision. That was his challenge was to not make people forget Bruce Bochy, but kind of, you know, like kind of give them something to replace it, knowing it was going to be different and hoping that it would work. So in terms of how Gabe Kapler decided to manage in San Francisco, Tim, with all of these sort of pressures and expectations and doubts, it seems like even in a world in which analytics, all of these data nerds are sort of running everything, he found a way to distinguish himself as still quite extreme. I think in this case, one stat says it all, Pablo, and is that in 162 games and 107 wins last season, 
Kepler used 148 different lineups. <laughs> I don't know how the algorithms work on that, but it almost seems hard, right, to get that many different combinations. And it kind of speaks to the roster construction of the Giants. You know, the, the Dodgers are shopping on Rodeo Drive for Freddie Freeman, and the Giants are, you know, Farhan's got his Honda parked in the outlet lot. You know, he's out there, he's looking at Darren Ruff and Lamont Wade and all these guys that he feels can fit within the the structure of this team and have been maybe underutilized or underappreciated elsewhere. And that's kind of been the tinker toy lineup situation they've had is that they for this pitcher, this they have this lineup and for a different pitcher. And it's not just lefty righty, which is traditionally the way teams platoon. It's different types of right-handers. You know, it's a sinker baller is going to face this lineup and a high fastball guy that pitches vertically is going to face this other lineup. It's kind of crazy. I mean, it really is because these guys all have bought into it and they all are in line with the analytics. The difference between a Gabe Kapler and a Tony LaRussa in terms of analytics, Kapler came into this job believing in this stuff. He never denied that it worked or he never tried to be defiant in the face of analytics and, and the numbers that were presented to him. That's the difference between a Tony La Russa who looks at those numbers and says, I know better. I can look into somebody's eyes and tell whether they're going to get me a big pinch hit in the eighth inning. You know, and Kapler's like, okay, I'm going to take care of the human side of this so that when I put my numbers to work, everybody's on the same page. It's unique that way. You know, it's another way that he has kind of changed the game a little bit. Part of the human side, too. I mean, let's be fair to the humans across the way in the opposite dugout, Tim. They have been huge fans of how Gabe Kapler's math <laughs> has decided to work itself out here. No, no, he's he's brought a different, uh, definitely a different edge to uh, late game blowouts and the whole topic of unwritten rules in baseball. Frankly, he just told his team in, in during spring training that he doesn't think they should play by those rules anymore. And he wanted input from them to see what they thought. And what it resulted in is a guy who has no problem telling someone to steal up 9-1 in the eighth inning. Runner goes, Bart takes it, and there's no throw as Duggar steals it. Well, it's a different game, folks. Oh, well, yeah, you're right. I mean, you never used to see that. For fear if you did something like that, somebody was going to get drilled. Tim, it sounds on its face like he's trolling people as opposed to doing something with an actual sort of, I don't know, competitive edge in mind. It does. It does. And I think that Padres manager Bob Melvin would agree with you. But I also <laughs> think that there is, if you listen to his reasoning, he makes a good point. First of all, why should only one team try, right? Like, why should the, the, the pitchers trying to get you out? Why should you not use every weapon in your arsenal? If you're a bunter, if you're a good bunter and you would bunt in a tie game in the eighth inning, why wouldn't you bunt up 10 to 1 in the eighth inning? Well, old-time baseball people have answers for that because you're going to get the next guy hurt. But Gabe has also grew up in that time. Like when he was with the Red Sox, the Yankees and Red Sox and the Rays and the, Re and the Red Sox, they had some battles. I mean, they had beanball wars. They had fights on the field. It doesn't happen that much anymore. It's not geared to that. Managers have kind of taken a step back, most of them, not all of them. 
and decided that, you know, beaning somebody is not the proper response to a stolen base. The days of Pedro Martinez throwing Don Zimmer to the ground are mostly <laughs> behind us. Yes, mostly. And we can sort of pine for those days sometimes. But really, it's not something that he worries that much about. He doesn't worry that much about the safety of his players. And what his point is, is that why should some average reliever be allowed to skate through three innings and save the rest of this team's bullpen just because they're down 10 to one. Like why should the giants decide that they're giving up a competitive advantage to help the other team in essence, when mm. they might have two or three games against that team coming up or that team might be going to play. Uh, there might, might be a division rival that's ahead of them, whatever the case is where they go on, and he wants their bullpen to be depleted. So he doesn't want that one guy to get three easy innings. He wants to get deeper into it. He wants to see position players out on the mound. You know, He wants to just beat teams so that it lasts two or three days rather than just one. Yeah, I mean, it does raise this question at the end here, Tim, of like, what are the stakes now of the experiment that Gabe Kapler is running? Because again, best record in all of baseball last year, right? The results justified their process. That's how it tends to work in sports. They were surprising, and now they are respected. But they also, let's keep in mind, they lost to the Dodgers, right, in the divisional series. So what exactly is on the line here, Tim, as Gabe Kapler has all of these other things still to accomplish? I think he's quietly running a campaign to refute the idea that the manager in baseball is a position that has been devalued, devalued by analytics, by overbearing front office people. I think that he is trying to recast this position as something that does different things than it used to. And by different things, I mean, yes, he's involved in all the analytics decision. He buys in. He's right on line with Farhan Zaidi and the whole front office. And yet he sees his job is making sure that the guys in his dugout trust that he's making the right decision for the team and for them at the moment, that these analytics decisions, this process serves a greater good. You can't lose that the side of him that is the communicator and the, the human, the holistic side of things. Tyler Rogers told me, the reliever for the Giants, told me an interesting little story about last year. And he said, this was when we all kind of decided that we got Kapler. Rogers came in in a save situation, up two runs. Kevin Gosman had pitched an incredible game in Dodger Stadium. 2-0 Giants, bottom of the ninth. Rodgers comes in, walk, walk, home run, walk off win for the Dodgers. Allen is hit high and deep to left field. Back on the ball, Slater, and the Dodgers have walked it off against Tyler Rodgers. The very next night, the same exact situation, and Kapler walks out to the mound like Chuck Norris channeling John Wayne <laughs> and points out to the bullpen for Tyler Rogers to come in in that exact same situation. Gets three outs. Giants shake hands and go home. That slider right out in front of the plate and Casale throws him out and the ball game is over. And the Giants end up winning it 4-2 to two, and Tyler Rogers got his wish. He got back in the game the next night and tonight he gets the save. And that is analytics in action with the human part of it. I mean, you've got this whole, he trusts me, I will do my best for him. He knows what the right situation for me is and everything is working toward this greater end. 
that is sort of the new manager, right? It is understanding both the numbers and the people. And I think that's the evolution of Gabe Kapler is he's gone from a guy in Philadelphia who understood the numbers, was a little bit shy on the human side of it, and now he's found a way to put them both together in San Francisco and the process is proven by the results. It sounds, Tim, like he is the translator that the nerds have been crying out for so they can actually communicate with the jocks. He is, and who thought it would be like a, a beefcake model to do this, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tim Kewen, a model for us, to be clear, of a different kind. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Pablo. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andy Tennant, Eve Tro, Chris Tubinello, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Andre Soto, Kylie Kilgore, and Jackson Agelo. I'll talk to you Monday. <laughs>